0: Maybe I just have, am I audible? Maybe I just have work on my mind this morning but I feel like the kids down here are drawing all different varieties of our work in the world. I see a church, the work of worship, I see some houses and the work we do at home, some work in the great outdoors. And on one end over here there's a bit of chaos and we're gonna talk today about how work is a bit of a mess at times as well. But our scripture reading today Our scripture reading is varied. We're gonna read a little bit of different parts of Genesis and then skip over to 2 Corinthians. We're gonna start in Genesis chapter one, verses three through 13. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light and that it was good. He separated the light from the darkness God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters and called them seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land, that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Hmm. Jumping to verse 27 and 28. we're going to move now to chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life." And now we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. I'm gonna take a moment and pray for just a second, folks. Dear Lord, be with us this morning. Continue to be with us. As you have in our singing, as you have in our proclaiming that you are Lord, Be with us now, together in this time. Be in the message and be in our hearts, Lord, as we discern your will today, amen. Happy Labor Day weekend, friends. I wanted to explore work with you this morning, not only because it's Labor Day, but because I personally have been on a work-related discernment journey for the past six years or so. After thinking and praying over my own work, and finally having a picture of what work God is calling me to in this season, I found myself craving a scriptural perspective on what work means for all of us. So that's what we're doing this morning, a quick theology of the glory and the mess of work. When we talk about work this morning, I don't mean simply what one is paid to do. Work is what needs done, and we do it. The Greek word for church, ekklesia, means called out. And theologian Tim Keller has said that work is all the stuff we are called out to do. We are called out to care for our families. We are called out to learn as students and institutions and through our own private learning. We are called out to cultivate and provide food and sustenance, to make and to grow things that are useful and needed and good and beautiful. We are called out to work with information, data, and finances. We are especially called out as an ecclesia a group of people called out to worship God together and to seek His will. Right now, on our day of rest, we are still doing some of the good work we are called to do by our Creator, the work of communal worship. Everything that we do is part of this calling. Like the reformer Martin Luther reminded us, all work is a sacred calling. When seeking a biblical perspective on work, I suggest that we begin at the beginning. In the beginning, work was holy. Before God got around to making people, animals, or even plants, he was already declaring the work of his hands good. Sanctifying work. We heard this in the rhythm and the poetry of scripture this morning. He made and he saw that it was good. He separated and he saw that it was good. He gathered and he saw that it was good. He spoke beings into existence and he saw that it was good. He looked on all he had created and he saw that it was good. God is shown here as a joyful gardener, surveying the growth he has cultivated with deep satisfaction. Ah, glory, the work of God. What else do we learn about work in this story? We learn that human work is a special role given to us by God and reflective of God's work. Scripture says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. God told Adam, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we have certain post-fall connotations and concepts like subdue and rule. And these words remind us of power struggles and subjugation. This is the stuff of a world with sin in it. But before the fall, God's world was balanced and harmonious. The ground yielded up plentiful crops without resistance. This was paradise. Humans were called to cultivate this paradise on behalf of the joyful gardener. The composer of Psalm 8 would later ask in wonder, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? That you, that you care for them? You crowned them, he says, with glory and honor. And this psalm speaks to the holy position of human work our sharing in God's glory. As we navigate this, it's helpful to remember that Genesis is God's beautifully crafted story of creation and not a dry how-to manual on every single work task on the planet. But we can still learn some specific things about the nature of all work from this story. We learn from scripture that work is something we do with our hands. Mankind was asked to work in a garden. We learn that work is something we do with our speech and language. Adam was asked to name all living things. Work has a goal in mind, like being fruitful or cultivating. Work involves care as we were made stewards of this world. Work has something to do with boundaries as well, because God placed a boundary when he told the first people, the first gardeners, not to eat from a specific tree. Work is to be done with coworkers. God created a coworker, a helper for Adam. Let's look closely at the text here. And now we're about to catch up to our slides in a moment. So when it says slide five, whoever is advancing, don't advance this one time. Remember that early in creation, God is declaring everything good the light, the sea, the trees, the man, it is all good. But even before sin enters the world, God found something decidedly not good. It is not good for man to be alone, God says. So I will make a suitable helper for him. For all of you beautiful language nerds out there, the Hebrew word here is that one up on the screen, and it's pronounced Ezer, or "azer" or Ezer is fine as well. And this word is so lovely, because it defines for us the nature of good co-workership. It's a word that is sometimes used in a military sense and often translated as help or helper in scripture, at times when one's very life is at risk and serious help is needed. In the face of impossible tasks, Moses says, my father's God was my helper, my ezer, the psalmist asks, when I turn my eyes up to the mountains, where does my ezer, my help, come from? An ezer has your back. This is a solidly dependable coworker. A few Hebrew scholars I read suggested that Adam's loneliness was a life-limiting condition and that God created Eve to save him from the death of loneliness. While this seemed a little dramatic to me when I first read that, I bet it wouldn't sound as dramatic to someone who has lost a life partner of many years, especially if they are also isolated from other loved ones. The work of life is something to be done together with people. Okay, friends, we can, perfect. Now, for the hard part. Work was the first thing to be called good and holy by God, and it was also one of the first things corrupted by sin. If there is a book somewhere that contains all the ways in which sin has corrupted our work, I can't fathom how many pages long it must be. In the Reformed tradition, we have a tenant called total depravity, and it states that we are completely unable of reaching God ourselves apart from His grace. There isn't one area of our lives, and therefore of our work, that isn't affected somehow by sin. In the succinct and poetic creation story in Genesis, after the fall, God gives three representative statements of the consequences of sin. The first one, spoken to Eve, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. The second, also spoken to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The third one, spoken to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life." I call these representative statements because they symbolize three areas where all co-workers in this world have suffered the consequences of sin throughout history. Child-rearing, the business of raising up families in a sinful world can be full of toil and marked with pain. The actual births of Cain and Abel were probably very painful, most are, but I imagine not half as painful as Eve hearing that one of her sons had killed the other not quite as painful as what King David experienced when he heard that Absalom was trying to seize power from him, or when he heard that he had been killed for that reason. If I ask any parent in this room what is painful about trying to raise a family, or ask any adult what was painful in their own childhood family, I will hear something about how sin has affected this kind of work in our world. The second consequence that God listed has been interpreted and taught to me in many different ways by pastors, biblical scholars, and folks I've had coffee with. I'm not going to exegete it this morning. I'm going to look at what is happening right before God tells Eve that Adam, sorry, that her desire will be for Adam and that he will rule over her. Because when God first created Eve, Adam burst out in rapturous poetry. This is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And after the fall, even before God says a word about consequences, Adam points at Eve and says, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me the fruit. Hmm. Do you feel the distance between them here? And can you imagine what the looks on their faces might have been during this exchange? The first couple, I imagine, sensed that their relationship had changed before God spelled it out for them. All was not well with the coworkers. And friends, this wasn't just a breakdown of harmony between the genders. All humans would be faulty coworkers from here on out. What is slavery after all, but the most unjust distribution of labor imaginable? And how many treaties and trade agreements have been violated by the more powerful party in the co-worker agreement? Yes, Adam and Eve were certainly the first woman and the first man, but they were also more than that. They were the first work relationship, the first work romance, the first work friendship, and the first human alliance. The third consequence that God mentions is about thorns and thistles and hard labor. The lush garden that had yielded up an endless supply of ready fruit would be replaced with the hard ground that would need to be tilled and worked. Work became toil New concepts like fruitless labor and starvation became a possibility for mankind. From our position in Grimsby and here in the church, it can be easy to forget how hard it can be to feed people. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that not everyone in our world or even in our city has enough to eat, that starvation is a possibility. It's sometimes easier for us to focus on how toilsome labor can be, how work is sometimes drudgery. We can look at plastic production and pollution or unfair wages and failing industries and start to despair. I'll just put it this way, I have not yet met a human who refers to our species as a collective of joyful cultivators. Now, we're going to turn to the good news soon. But let's linger here just for a second to mourn together with our ancestors, the parents of humanity. Their loss is ours, and ours is theirs. Work isn't perfect. Sometimes it's rotten. It's often not fulfilling or lofty, Relationships at work, in the home, in workplaces, in government, in institutions, and in the work of the church are not the perfect partnerships they should be. We fail one another, things fall apart, disasters happen, injustice happens. However, the good news starts to come to us before we even get to Jesus. While it is true that sin, like a corrosive in an engine, or moisture in a piano, got in and began corrupting all of our work and our work relationships, it did not eliminate the good. God has always been more powerful than sin, and has always lovingly instructed his people in the ways of honoring that which is good and holy in their work and in their coworkers. All of the scriptures between the creation and the New Testament attest to this. That's why the psalmist can still marvel at the honor and the glory that God has lavished on people by giving them a privileged position because God has been painstakingly guiding his people through the glory and the mess of holy work in a sinful world. So if you go home and read any Old Testament story, you will see a story of God pointing his people to good and holy work in their sin-corroded reality. And Jesus, how did he change work? Jesus was revolutionary for work. God showed the holy nature of family work, first of all, when he made a carpenter's fiancée the mother of the savior of humanity. Through Joseph, Jesus' earthly adoptive father, he showed us how to stand by our household coworkers, even when society tries to shame them. Jesus, showed us how all work is fallible when he ransacked the temple, reacting to unholy work in a holy place. He showed us how all work can be made holy when he made a tax collector, one of his apostles. He showed us that all co-workers are equally worthy when he acknowledged mere children as messengers when he told a lame man to do the good work of picking up his mat and walking, when he commended a sinful woman for the good work of anointing her Lord for burial, when a blind man was promoted to the position of Christ's witness to the Pharisees, he blessed the learning of Mary, the service of Martha, and the long-suffering work of all of the crowds who came to see him. And in the presence of their Lord, people joyfully sprang to work when Jesus was around. Peter's ill mother jumped up out of bed to serve Jesus and other guests after he healed her. Jesus said, come with me, and his apostles dropped everything they were doing and ran to do the good work he was calling them to. John the Baptist defied authorities, went to prison, and then to his death with peace and equanimity in the presence of the Lord of work. And before going back to the Father, Jesus did one last thing. He sent his people to work. Go and work the fields of humanity. Tell them the good news that this age has seen the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and of our work. Because with his death and resurrection, Jesus truly redeemed work. If sin is the corrosive in all good work, then Jesus took his untarnishable nature and bathed the whole world in it. Someday, we will once again see perfection, completely new creation without blemish. Someday, we'll all work in absolute harmony together, and it's going to be, I can't even imagine what it will be like, because my brain is too accustomed to the sin and glory scenario we have here in this life. Because we still live in a fallen world, we still have thorns and thistles, grunt work and grumpy co-workers and the like. But this is also a world that is now glowing with redemption. And our loving Savior sent us God's Holy Spirit as one perfect coworker, one who works continually in our hearts communities, and workplaces to transform our work and our work relationships. And so Paul could write to a slave owner to accept back his runaway slave, not only as one forgiven, but as a brother and a coworker for Christ. Even in the extremely hierarchical Roman society, Paul could declare that in this kingdom where all is being made new, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, he writes, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one, he says, in Christ Jesus. And just as the complete catalog of the corrosive effects of sin was not immediately apparent to those first coworkers, Adam and Eve, Just as the listing of all the ways in which sin corrupts our work is too huge to imagine, even more unbelievably huge is the complete catalog of the transformative work and healing of the Holy Spirit. There is no way in which sin can tarnish our work or work relationships that God can't counteract it and redeem it into something good and holy through the guidance of scripture, the very act and fact of Jesus Christ, and the transformative work of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean we won't still have questions and challenges. Here's a big one. Why did God allow us to be tempted into all this mess? Why risk all that pain in the first place? This relates to one of the big questions of theology, theodicy, or how can an all-good and all-powerful God allow bad things to happen? And some theologians say that it's because God had to let us choose to love and obey Him, or we wouldn't actually love and obey Him. Free will requires choice. Some say it's a test. Some say that we can't appreciate the light without the darkness. And if one or more of these answers works for you, that is wonderful. It remains to me a mystery, one that I have to entrust to God. Here's one more big question. What do we do when Christians disagree about work and the nature of work? Because we will, and frequently, For example, I know for a fact there are folks who think that I'm sinning against God by doing the work I feel God is calling me to do here in this church as a woman pastor, and I don't blame them. I can think of the work that some Christians do that I worry might be sinful as well. These are conversations that we need to continue having with one another. We Christians are all in a pickle trying to figure out, trying to work out, our salvation with fear and trembling, and we're in it together. But this is all part of the glory and the mess of it all. John Calvin understood this paradox when he wrote downright gratefully of this mess. Writing in his commentary on Genesis, he says, our fall to sin, more clearly illustrated God's own goodness. For His grace is more abundantly poured forth through Christ upon the world than it was imparted to Adam in the beginning. More abundantly. That is consolation. Work is not perfect like it once was. It's worse and maybe somehow or sometimes better in ways that are hard for us to fathom. It's a sinful mess, and it's glorious and holy. It's painful, and it's blindingly radiant with grace, like birth, like brilliant machinery, like the harvest, like music played on a piano that is almost in tune, it is achingly beautiful, continually transformed, and completely redeemed. Praise be to God. I would love to pray with you for just a moment. Heavenly Father, you know I've sat around a few holiday dining tables where some uncle would say, I'll say grace, and then say bless this mess. And I think of that this morning, Lord, because that is what we are asking. Thank you, Lord, for this mess. Thank you for making it holy and good and beautiful again. Please, Father, bless this mess. Bring your glory, amen.
1: Before Pastor Jolene gives the oh, sorry, right. uh, before Pastor Jolene gives the parting blessing, I just want to remind you about the offerings that we have here every Sunday. The first one is for Mountain View Ministries, um, also known as the Church Budget, which supports the ministries that are provided here. There are two methods in which you can contribute. Uh, one of them you can do online via the bridge app. And if you prefer. You can use the budget envelopes. Um, donations can be placed in the container down the middle of the aisle at the back where you enter and exit the church. The second offering today, a Pastor Eric mentioned in the prayer, is for Rose City kids. This ministry is a godsend and a blessing to many children and their families in Welland and the surrounding communities. With me this morning is Danica buys She will share her involvement in that ministry, the positive impact it has in that community, and how members of Mount View can get involved in the mentoring program that they offer there.
2: Thank you. Yeah, so I'm from Rose City Kids. I've been working there for about three years in the mentoring and junior leadership programs. So Rose City Kids was started through a desire to serve people in your own backyards. So, City Kids is located in Welland, and we serve up to 700 vulnerable kids and youth um, from the ages of 4 to 18. So, we have all different free programs for the kids from youth drop-in nights, mentoring, junior leadership, tutoring programs. Um, We have a children's choir, and we have a bi-weekly Saturday program for the younger kids. So, when working with these kids, we've seen that healthy adult relationships is really what they're looking for and what they need. So we seek to be a place where we can walk alongside families and provide a safe space for children and youth to learn and to grow. Since COVID, we've seen the numbers of youth and children coming to our programs increase significantly. We have 110 volunteers, but we need more. So we're looking for volunteers on Tuesday and Thursday nights for our youth drop-in programs. So this would include playing basketball, hanging out with kids, doing crafts, just having conversations. And while playing basketball might seem like not a big deal and it's not going to make an impact in a child's life, you might be the first one to tell a kid they're amazing or that you're proud of them, or just to pay attention to a kid like they've never had before. There's also the Saturday bi-weekly program. This is where we have about 300 kids come to our theatre and they engage in like a game show kind of program. So for this, we need people to help with the buses, um, worship, just being with the kids while they're in the program. And if any of these areas don't sound like something you're interested in, with 700 kids coming in, in and out of our facilities, we always need help with cooking and cleaning. So if you're looking for some more information, there's some pamphlets and newsletters at the back. And we find that tours are the best way to really understand our program. Coming into our facilities, seeing what we do, seeing um, how we engage with the kids. So if life groups or families or groups of friends want to come, just contact us. We'd love to provide that for you. Again, I just want to say thank you for your continual contributions to our organization.
1: Thank you, Danica. Um, If any of you are interested in getting involved, you can contact Rose City Kids. The information is provided in our weekly announcements that are sent out via email every uh, Friday afternoon. Thank you for supporting Rose City Kids.
0: Our blessing today is going to be done in the form of call and response. We have assembled together in this place as the gathered body of Christ, lifting our voices to proclaim Christ to the world through our worship, As lab techs and lawyers, as fighters and as farmers. Sorry, firefighters. Firefighters, or fighters, and farmers. As tellers and teachers, as accountants and auto mechanics. As managers and marketers, As nurses and nannies, as engineers and event planners, as postal workers and production managers, as salespeople and social workers, as cashiers and construction workers, and as students and workers at home and in our community, as retired workers as well. And as you go, know that you do not go alone. Your work is held in the power and covered in the blessing of the triune God. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with you, all of you, as you carry Christ in your work in the world. Amen.